0: Hello and welcome to the One Football podcast. So, the podcast is back, and I am joined by a Her Football Hubs duo of Drew Diamond. How are things, Drew?
1: Yeah, really good. Thanks for having me again. Pleasure to be here.
0: No worries. And we are joined by Jay Lewis. How are things, Jay?
1: I'm feeling better than a Chelsea women's fan at the moment. Oh! started already.
0: I know, no messing about, is there? I mean, you, that's a great lead to the Champions League final. We've got to talk about it. Mad, mad game, Drew. What did you make of it? Do
2: you know what? I was blown away. I, like I'd said previously that I thought it would be like an even game, but the Barcelona would edge it. But well, like they won it within the first like 20 minutes. No mm. team men's or women's throughout the history of the champions league has ever come back from 4-0 at half time um so it was over it it was already over i started watching it less as a champions league final and a bit more of like an exhibition of football Mm -hmm. Um, because some of the passes were exemplary some of the play the way they absolutely just dominated chelsea and, and destroyed chelsea's mentality within that first 20 minutes I think it was a masterclass. I don't think we see that very often. We see dominant score lines, but this was two of the best teams on the planet. And one destroyed the other, and that's really rare. Um, Very fun to watch.
0: (laughs) It was. It it was fun to watch, definitely. I mean, like you say, they conceded four goals in the first 36 minutes. It was a terrible start. I mean, it was, what, 33 seconds? For the first goal to go in, an own goal that... Jay, try and help the Chelsea fans here. Do you feel that had they have got off... I know it's hard for you to help a Chelsea fan, but do you feel that had they got off to a better start, the outcome maybe would have been different?
1: Not at all. Not at all. The beauty of having Drew on here is that there is literal proof. I said the game will finish 4-1 to Barcelona. (laughs) I knew there was no (laughs) chance in hell that Chelsea would have won this game. And it's because Barcelona is an amazing team. Mm. At the end of the day, this is no surprise to me. The problem is it's nice to sharp people that always feel like the WSL team's gonna win, regardless, just because it's the WSL and we've watched them. But I'd seen what Barcelona did to City. So then I thought City and Chelsea was very even on the twenty second of April, so I was like, I can't see this Chelsea team beating Barcelona. So I thought and then I saw the starting lineup and I saw Neve Charles and I saw Jess Carter and I said, Okay, my prediction was right. So, no, nah, I don't feel... I don't feel even if they didn't concede a non-goal in 33 seconds, it just meant that over the game, maybe the 78th minute, the fourth goal would have gone in instead mm. of how it was sped up in the first half. But no, Barcelona was always going to take that W.
0: Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from with that. I mean, there has been talk that Chelsea's inexperience on the big stage really did show on the night. Um Drew, would you agree with that? Is that part of where
2: they probably slipped up? I mean, I can see why people would think that, but I wouldn't say it myself. I feel like... May... So I don't think anyone said this yet, but I feel like they put too much weight on actually getting to the final. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of celebrations about being at the final. Um, I'm a big Emma Hayes fan, but she mentioned in a post-match interview after the semi-final, oh, she said, I've worked my whole life for this moment. Like, I feel that...
0: It's like, we've not won it yet, and on. Yeah, I
2: feel like that kind of mentality should have been saved. Yeah. Um, you know, don't give any statements when you've won a semi-final because they're either going to trip you up or it will just it will lure you into a false sense of security that will eventually trip you over, whether it be that final or not. Um, it was being hailed, hailed as like a massive accomplishment anyway, just to be there. But we've already mentioned mentality a couple of times on this podcast, but I really do feel like... There was a celebration before there should have been. Mm. Um, and yeah, it is a massive achievement getting to the finals of the Champions League, especially when you're an English club, um, especially when Emma Hayes has said for, for years and years, that's where she wants to be. She wants to be in the Champions League final, but I think she just needs to take that one step further with that squad and say, look, that's not the goal anymore. We did that. We set our, shite, our sights short. The goal now is to win the Champions League because that at the end of the day, I think was the real goal um, and they just lost sight of it a bit.
0: Yeah, I I kind of get what you mean with that. And I guess um, we've heard it on the podcast before um, when Alejandro has given us his insights and he said, you know, like this isn't like a men's, Football team and a women's football team mentality with Barcelona, they have as a whole men, women, children, whoever's playing. If you're putting on that Barcelona shirt, you are playing to win. And I'm not saying that Chelsea don't operate in that way, but I do feel like the institution that is Barcelona Football Club, I, I feel like that maybe played a role as well. And like you say, Barcelona won't have been thinking. Yeah, we got to a final. This is amazing. Another final. Ooh, they were like, "No, we're going to go and win this." Um, so I I kind of get what you mean there. I mean, it was Chelsea's first Champions League final. The first time the English side had reached this stage since, of course, Arsenal lifted the trophy back in 2007. Jay, on the whole, Emma Hayes should still be proud I mean as Drew mentioned she was clearly very proud maybe a bit too proud but on the whole you know she should be proud of what this club and what this team has achieved
1: yeah massively I think she should be incredibly proud she's really shown herself to be one of the great coaches but I do feel you kind of have to separate the domestic success from the Champions League campaign yeah because Chelsea did incredible to get to the final it's not easy to get to a final. However, Chelsea was very much a second leg FC team when it came to the Champions League, and then that kind of makes it look like Emma Hayes is kind of le- is kind of got it tactically wrong in the first legs, and then it shows in the final. You don't really get that second leg to change anything or to really come back from anything. So I think they did incredible, and she did incredible to lead them throughout the season, but I think in the Champions League it's kind of like their luck finally ran out and then they met a team that was well drilled and just wouldn't allow them to come back into a game Hmm. but I'll give Emma Hayes her credit because she's still an incredible manager and if there was 12 Emma Hayes on the pitch they would probably won the Champions League final
0: (laughs) unfortunately not um I mean, Barcelona were just absolutely ruthless. It was, you know, an amazing performance from them. They are officially the most successful women's team in Spain. They've got six league titles, seven Copa de la Arenas, one Supercopa de España, now the Champions League. Drew, who was your star player that night? I mean, they all were amazing, but did anyone in particular stand out for you?
2: Yeah, for me, it was Bon Mati. And I said that... Um... I think I said that to yourself, James, in the uh, in the old group chat straight after the yeah. game. But she got the third goal in the in the 20th minute. That was the one that k- killed Chelsea. Um, mm-hmm. She just looked a class above. She's Barcelona through and through. She's never played anywhere else. She's got I think about 30 caps for Spain. She, she is a really quality player. If she was in the WSL, everyone would be talking about it all the time in the same ilk as the very top players. Uh, but I think when you're a one club player abroad, you don't kind of get the media hype from the English mainstream media. Um, but Bon Matty is and will be one of the best players on the planet.
0: Definitely. And, and I agree with that. I think you find, um, the. I mean, we could sit and talk about the English media and women's football and things that we don't like for a while, probably. But I definitely agree with you that um, I don't think the spotlight gets shone enough on players um, from other countries that, like you say, people may be haven't heard of because they are you know a one-woman club or something I, I definitely agree Um I mean looking at this Barcelona uh, side Jay how does this side measure up in your opinion to some of the great Leon teams that we have seen in the past for example
1: mm. in my opinion any team that has Ada Hergerberg will always trump supreme mm. so it's hard to it's hard to not bring up what happened in the final in 2019 but I think that sort of Lyon team was at the peak of their powers and I feel like if that Lyon team was facing Chelsea no one would have given Chelsea a hope. Yeah. But I think with this Barcelona team people there was a lot of Chelsea fans that thought yeah we're going to do this. I think because that Lyon team just they had a great mentality as well. And I feel like because they had so many superstars all over the pitch, I think that sort of team, that will, I think, eclipse this Barcelona team.
0: Hmm. Yeah, fair, fair enough. I mean, that's, that's your opinion. I definitely can get where you're coming from, especially when you do look back, Um. you know, at that final. Um, Drew, do you think the fact that this was their second final helps them mentally going into the game
2: yeah absolutely yeah, i think it's our trigger word today but mentality is a huge part of any game um you know it's how every giant killing happens you know you don't get like a third division team beating a top flight team on on talent or anyone getting it wrong it's mentality um and absolutely barcelona came to that game with the barcelona mentality that you were speaking about when everyone puts on that shirt and I don't think any single one of those players, even when they came off the bench, um, were prepared to come away with anything less than than a trophy. And every player wanted a goal, every player wanted the perfect pass, every player was pressing immediately. It was intense, which is why I said it felt like some sort of exhibition match, like the Harlem kind of Globetrotters era of exhibition. Like everyone was doing everything perfectly and it was incredible. Um, and I absolutely think that was their mentality. And they, you know, those Chelsea players will remember walking past that trophy. Frank Kirby took a runners up medal off straight away. That stuff sticks with you, and I think it did stick with those Barcelona players
0: definitely and and you know, like we've mentioned, the last final was against seven time winners Leon um, in two thousand and nineteen. They were three nil down with twenty minutes to go. They lost four one now. When this game happened, Sam Kerr allegedly tweeted when the game took place. And this is competitive, like throwing a little bit of shade at Barcelona. This has come back to bite her on the behind, unfortunately, as Patricia Guijaro, she commented, I've watched the interview um, that she gave, um, she kind of hinted at this tweet after the game. And she said, you know, some people feel that in our last final, we weren't competitive well, are you going to say that this wasn't competitive either? And said that some people had got a taste of their own medicine, shall we say. Um, She wasn't happy. She was not happy. You'd think she'd be happier just winning the Champions League. But no, she wanted to get her point across um, to let Sam Kerr know that she'd seen that tweet. And I've recently revisited the tweet and the amount of people that are commenting, like, it's... um, it's pretty bad. Jay, do you think this was maybe a humbling experience for Sam Kerr?
1: (laughs) Yeah, massively. I saw she finally um, posted on Instagram and at the end of her post, she said, congrats to Barca. I don't think she typed that with her own fingers. No. I think there is nothing inside her that wanted to congratulate Barcelona, but sadly she had to. I think it was a great experience for her. She won't think so, but (laughs) as a neutral, it was amazing because, that gender day, after they won the wso and she got the golden boot i saw so much slander towards um vivian medema as an arsenal fan i'm not having it and to see her in this kind of experience against people that she kind of she kind of embarrassed them when she said that tweet mm. and i bet all of them saw it at the time and they kind of just got together as a team and said we're gonna come back, we're gonna get in the final. It was extra motivation
0: probably. <laughs>
1: exactly. So that's what I love they kept the receipts. You have to yeah, keep the receipts of you course have to you did. People know I saw what you said. So therefore when we beat you, when we destroyed you, we enjoyed every single minute of it. Because they could have just won. They could have just won, lifted the trophy, gone home, but they said, No, Kerr, we saw what you said. <laughs> I hope you enjoy that runners up medal. I hope it stays around your neck. So incredibly humbling for Kerr but even more motivation for Kerr now so now she might be in a final next year maybe and she might get her trophy
0: it's kind of almost giving me like come dine with me you've won Jane kind of <laughs> it's honestly giving me those kind of levels of of pettiness which I'm 100% here for um, and it was funny because I was talking to um, Alejandro about it and his dream is to have Sam care at Real Madrid and he was saying Maybe, you know, when it comes to Barcelona and Real Madrid, there's always a little bit of a rivalry. Maybe now that Real Madrid have seen this, <laughs> that she's got a little <laughs> bit of beef with Barcelona, maybe Florentino Perez is going to give her a ring, get her down <laughs> to Madrid. <laughs> um, because, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that that would be great. Um, as much as I don't like to see people beefing, I... Um, I feel like when it comes to Barcelona and Real Madrid, you've always got to have a little bit of a rivalry. So who knows? Maybe that will work in a favour and she'll put on the blue shirt, uh, blue shirt, white shirt even. Um, But yeah, I mean, another question I was thinking uh, for you, Drew, do you think that for English clubs, the fact that Chelsea got to a final, if anything, it's just going to be like an encouraging inspiration, you know, for the likes of Manchester City, that they also have hope of progressing even further next season? Because, I mean, this isn't the end of English clubs being in Champions League finals, is it?
2: Well, I mean, it could be a few years again until we see any. English... Don't,
0: don't give me those negative vibes. <laughs> what, what are you doing?
2: <laughs> I think it's potentially, not, not to uh, aim this at yourself, um, but I think it's potentially a, a bit of a naive uh, perspective to have to think that England's best clubs are Europe's best clubs. I mean... yeah we've spoke about legacy clubs previously you know i love to talk about it but for instance bayern barca leon psg wolfsburg atletico you, you you know that if any of them or all of them were in the wsl for one season like an exhibition year they'd all stand a chance at winning it mm. all of those teams are potentially better than any other english club and i'm not saying that english clubs won't get to the final again but it could be a few years you know it there's no given right that an English club will make the way to the final. If Chelsea come up against Barca in the semis or the quarters, they, you know, they could go. If Man City come up against Leon or Wolfsburg in the semis or the quarters, they could go. And then it is what it is. Like there's, I'm not saying it won't happen, but it. We could, it could it's not good. as clear cut. <laughs> yeah,
0: I get I get what you mean because I think at the moment, looking at football across Europe. It's a very interesting time because we are seeing um we're, we're seeing in in my opinion we're seeing a lot more competitiveness like what we've seen this season, you know, Leon didn't make it to the final. Um and we've seen so many interesting games and stuff like that and I think it's been really good to kind of highlight the fact that this isn't going to be as clear-cut as it has been for god knows how many years. It's really going to be a battle to get to the final. So I I totally get what you're saying. Um, I think it'd be nice to see another English team get there. Um, I'm really excited to see what Manchester City bring in the next couple of years um, and how they're going to kind of bridge that gap, not only with Chelsea, but like you say, with these other teams in Europe. I think it'd be interesting to see if Atletico Madrid can get themselves back on their A game, and th- I think now there's just so many teams like you say that y- you can't rule out because everyone is up in their game more and more, um, and it is great to see. I mean, massive congratulations to Barcelona. I'm just saying I can't remember if you guys were on the podcast, but when we were doing our predictions, I was on the fence about Barcelona. I was umming and in, and there is a podcast somewhere. I may have changed my mind about three different times, but I definitely said that Barcelona would win. Therefore, I am the prediction guru, and that's all I have to say on that. No, I'm only joking. We'll, we'll let you <laughs> out. Thank you. Yeah, just let me have this one. I'm normally terrible with predictions, so allow me. Um, I mean, we'll head over and have a look at the FA Cup now. Um, you know, there were some big wins. First off, get ready, Jay, because Arsenal got a 9 0 victory against Crystal Palace. Um, there were eight different goal scorers. Did you have a favourite goal?
1: Um, I think maybe Jill Ward's goal Just mm-hmm. because it was a nice way for her to say goodbye Nothing better than saying goodbye to everyone Than leaving and then scoring a goal um, The goal was pretty much standard But it was nice to see everyone's reaction Because everyone kind of ran to her Like, oh, I'm going to miss seeing you still score goals And also, I liked Viv's goal Because she did a nice little diving header But when she got up, she looked furious that she scored So <laughs> it called, Always fashion. does <laughs> So
0: yeah, that was, those were probably my favourite too. Yeah. Um I mean it was a great way to mark the manager's final game in charge. Um Drew, looking at life after Joe Montemore, does the future look bright for this Arsenal team?
2: I mean, I wouldn't say that just yet. I think it's safe to presume that the future is bright for Arsenal. Um, historically mm. that's what's that's what we've learnt about Arsenal that, you know, they're always an attacking team that are that are up there, but you know, they need to they need to get a manager locked in. If they've, you know, if it's confirmed that they've got Iwabuchi as well, that's a great start. She's one of the world's best players. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this stage, I think they just they need to get their business done first. Tie down players like Mace, Moy, even even Williams, um, and just tie down that talent. Start building. Give the fans something to cheer about. Because at the minute, all I'm seeing on Twitter and hearing from friends is, oh, another another sad day at Arsenal. Someone's leaving, or there's another rumor. True. Or, and. Um, yeah, if Iwabuchi's done, announce it. Give the fans something to be happy about. You know, it, there's rumours Mace might be leaving. Give her a new contract. Give Williams a bumper contract. Give give everyone a fancy new shirt number. Like, mm. let's get some good news flowing um, and get the positivity building for Arsenal again. Because let, let's face it, we don't know what business they're going to do yet, but they will be up there next season. They always are. Um, and, and yeah, it will be a positive season from them. It's going to be a, re- a rebuilding process. I don't think anyone's expecting them to go and win the league next season. Uh, but they need to be as close to that as possible next season and then, you know, give themselves something to build from under a new era. Hmm.
0: Are, you, are you nervous about the uh, the next season, Jay, or are you feeling confident or are you stressing? How are you feeling?
1: It's going to be a dark season. I oh, think. wow, OK. I don't know. It's going to be dark. Um, OK, <laughs> Because the thing is, everything's so up in the air. I'm not sure Leah Williamson is staying because um, I felt the best time for her to announce a contract extension was the same time as Katie McCabe. Yeah. All I've heard is bad news since Katie McCabe said that she's (laughs) staying. So it leads me to think that also I heard reports might not be true that Leah was crying at the end of the FA Cup game. That's That's not a good sign um
0: we've got inspector you know, cluedo on this haven't we you, ha- you
1: have to because we're not we're not <laughs> this is the problem we're not hearing news like drew said if you don't tell us what's going on we're just going to speculate yeah so we still don't know who the manager is going to be that's mm. amazing so we don't know about signings i think even if we get different signings the team's going to look very different so that team's going to need to gel this team already knew each other and still didn't have a great season. So imagine a team that needs to gel. I think we'll probably finish fifth, sixth next season. Wow. If we don't bring in... We need, we need superstar names like Iwabuchi of that calibre. We can't replace big names with lesser names. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I just hope. I'll still support Arsenal regardless, but...
0: That's good to know.
1: <laughs> That's a bit worried. I won't, I won't leave. I won't leave, but like, yeah, I'm ready for dark times.
2: You even sound sad, man. It breaks. I know. I'm, sad. <laughs>
1: I'm sad.
0: This is like, yeah, I've, I'm not feeling great. Like, I, <laughs> I need some positive vibes here. I mean, one other question I wanted to ask you as an Arsenal fan is dare I ask it? I'm a bit scared, but do, <laughs> do you have a manager that's top of your list? Or are you just like, just announce somebody so I can rest easy that we've actually okay. got someone?
1: At first, I wanted Jane Ludlow. Mm. Then I thought about it. Carla <laughs> left. Carla Ward's left Birmingham. She wasn't. She wasn't getting the flowers that she deserved. Mm. So I was thinking, if you bring her to Arsenal, where things are a bit more. I don't know how things are going to be after the players leave, but I think she's a manager. If you put her in a better position, she could do well. And to be honest, Joe left. I wanted Joe to leave. He's gone. So now I just. I don't mind who the manager is. I just want them to be announced immediately. Okay, immediately, you know. Start. It's just about fresh start.
0: Okay, well, I'll get on the phone to Arsenal and say, <laughs> immediately, we need a name. <laughs> if we don't get a name, there's going to be trouble. <laughs> 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 I mean, we'll, we'll move on from Arsenal now because we're going down a very dark road. Um, the cup holders, Manchester City, they progressed. They beat West Ham, West, West Ham even, 5-1. Um, they were then um, obviously able to secure the win thanks to Substitute's bench, which included USA Internationals, Rose Lavelle, Sam Mewis, who both scored. Both players are returning to the United States, respectively, to OL Reign and North Carolina Courage, um, Jay, what have you made of their time in England? Are you sad to see them go?
1: Or? I'm incredibly sad to see them go. It is oh, something else you're sad about, I'm gone. Oh, no. <laughs> it's just a sad pod for me. But <laughs> it's, it's two different... They had two different times. Samuels was incredible. I think City should have gave her like a four-year contract if they could. Should have broke the bank for her. She was an incredible player. She gave City something that I think they were missing in terms of just an attacking midfielder that would just score goals. I think you have Kira Walsh that really dictates play, but I think it was incredible to have someone like Sam Mewis constantly chipping in with goals. And they're going to miss that massively. They misused Rose Lavelle. How can you have a World Cup winner? A recent World Cup winner. It's not like she did it like 12 years ago and she's not that same person. (laughs) This is very recent. And you've just decided, you know what, she can hold bench. She should not be holding bench. I was really sad that Arsenal even tried to inquire and say, you know what, we'll let you start, but that's up to Gareth Taylor. I'm I'm not the manager; he is. So I'm happy that Rose will actually get appreciated where she goes next. I think Sam Mewis left because of that Barcelona game. I mm. think she realised mm, this isn't this isn't for me. I need to be. It's not my vibe. I need to be in a situation <laughs> where we're more likely to win, other than not. And I think that kind of scared her off. Mm. And to be honest, I don't think they took it as serious as other players do in terms of being in the WSL. Because there was WSL games and Sam Mewis went for training camp for the US team. So it's like, I think they kind of knew that this was a one season thing, no Mm. matter how it went. Yeah. So sad to see them go, but we move.
0: Fair enough. Um... For West Ham, um, obviously, former England fullback Paul Konchesky has been appointed as the new assistant manager. He's been working with the Hammers Academy since 2017 and has been helping to coach the women's side since Oli Harder took over as manager at the turn of the year. Um, Drew, since West Ham managed to avoid relegation, what are your expectations for next season and what do you make of, of his appointment? Um,
2: firstly, on, on Paul, I think it's... Um an ambitious appointment um, it's always nice to see high profile names coming in it always attracts new fans that's always a positive Yeah. Um, I had to actually research to see if, if you'd made a typo I'm amazed Paul played for England I'm not going to lie <coughs> I don't I really have any actual memory of that <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah no let's face it he played at the very top level of men's football um, and that's, that's invaluable experience that can be passed on um, West Ham are a good side I think they have to let this manager settle, put his stamp on the team, and you know, mold it to what he needs and what, what he wants to play with. They definitely have weak areas, but I think they acknowledge that, and especially bringing in someone with a, a defensive background like Paul um, kind of shows they acknowledge that as well. I think that's something he'll try to pass on to the team. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I think they're going to be involved in a relegation battle again. I don't think that's where they want to be. Um, but I mean, they had players like Kenza Darley, who who's a really, really top quality player, um, and I don't think they were using her correctly. And obviously, she's she's played under two different managers for the club now. The season probably didn't go how she expected, or how a lot of the players expected. But there are positives there. Um, they just need to they just need to dig them out and find more, um, mm. which I think they're perfectly capable of. But yeah, it could be a difficult season again for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree and uh, just so you know it was two senior appearances Not that he fine. made so put some respect on those two appearances <laughs> thank you very <laughs> much but yeah, uh, when I first read it as well, I did double-check before I put it in, just in case. I um, hope he's not listening. I know, fingers crossed. Sorry, Paul. Um, nothing but love for you, guy. But uh, yeah, um, obviously, there's been Manchester United. Um, saved the best to last. Um, crashed out in the FA Cup. <laughs> 3-2 to kidding. Leicester. Yeah, it's took a serious turn from... What was it? At the end of last year, we thought we were going to win the league. Those were happier times. Now, yeah, it's not great. Um, You know, gave up a 2-1 lead. There was some sloppy defending. We didn't look great. I'm so over it. I mean, Jay, do you think that it was an amalgamation of not getting Champions League football, Casey Stoney's departure, it being the end of the season, they were just not good enough on the day. They were as fed up as I am what do you think it was
1: no i just think that, i like united doing bad I mean, it's great to see it's really but i think <laughs> I, don't, I think united it was, it was injuries as well it was injuries Let's, mm. it's not the same about Tobin Heath as united yeah <laughs> um i think there's just they don't have a mentality at united I don't think there's anything that scares teams about United. So therefore, it's anyone's game. It's not like we're going to face United. Do
0: you think that's because they don't have the history in the women's game? Or what do you think that, why do you think that is?
1: I just, I'm not, I'm not sure. I think maybe it's how, no, I think it's after United lost to Liverpool in the Conti Cup. I yeah. Think, hmm, United look a bit suspect. So I feel with United they need to get the consistency down because they're kind of like a they're like a higher up the table version of Reading in in terms of you don't know what kind of result they're going to get because they beat Arsenal but then lost to Reading so it's like until this United team can get that consistency and win when it matters and get a cup run then I think It's always going to be this kind of feeling of disappointment because things could have happened. You could have been in the Champions League, but sadly it wasn't meant to be.
0: Thanks. Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) He sounds happier now, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, and I sound worse. Um, Obviously, it was a big win for Leicester. Um, I'm just completely deflecting. Um, They, of course, will be in the Women's Super League next season. Drew, are you looking forward to seeing what they'll bring to the table?
2: Absolutely. Um, Both myself and James are close to a few of the players at Leicester, so we're probably slightly biased here. But Mm. I can't wait for them to show themselves off. Um, We tweeted from her Football Hub the other day. um, This is your last warning. Remember the name Shannon O'Brien. But it's not even just players like Shannon, there's Tash Flint, there's Plumpter at the back. They've got Kirsty Lavelle, who's a fantastic keeper. She got the Golden Glove while she shared it in the Championship this season. They're, they're already a WSL quality side. They don't have a lot to do in the transfer market, and I don't think they will do a lot in the transfer market. Um, but they, they're going to be a really great team. It'll either go one way or the other. Um, and they'll either struggle with with confidence and mentality and see themselves as a team that's come up, or they'll really go for it. And they'll do, they'll do exactly what Tottenham and Manchester United did in their first seasons up and just go, OK, let's see how high we can get. We know we can beat these teams. Why are we scared? Mm. Um, and I guess we'll find out, but it's really going to be exciting. Um, Morgan is is an experienced manager. He's been there a long time. Um, and I think when he comes up, he might actually be third longest serving manager in the WSL. Obviously, he's not done that at WSL level, but he knows that club inside out. And um, I think he knows exactly what that team needs, where their weak areas are. He'll strengthen that. And onwards and upwards for them, I think.
0: Definitely. Um I mean, I'll I'll mention this about Manchester United before I firmly close the book on my club. Um, you know, Casey Stoney, of course, will be departing from Manchester United. We heard the news last week myself and Alejandro reacted to it and had a bit of a chat about it. But um, just for you, Jay, and Drew, if you want to chip in as well, feel free. But what is your reaction to her departure? And... You know, the reasons allegedly behind why she's departing and, you know, where United kind of go from here, really.
1: I'll okay. let go I'll let Drew go first because he's gonna say the most realistic <laughs> You're just gonna
0: be a United hater, is what you're trying yeah. to say. Okay. Yeah, so cool.
1: I'll let Drew go first.
0: Okay. <laughs>
2: so yeah, I United have to go strong here. They need a big name. Um they need to attract someone like Jean-Luc Vassour or someone like yeah. that and and really put their foot down and say, no, look, this we're not accepting this is the end of the project. Because the, the Manchester United owners have done that before and given up on the, on the project. Mm. They cannot do that now. They will be held accountable. Fans will burst in that stadium again and, and tear the pitch apart. And rightly so. This women's team needs backing. What they've done is incredible. They've brought in huge players. And I think when you were asking James earlier about why teams don't fear Manchester United and what that stems from. I think it's the backing. Yeah. I feel like the players aren't backed by their owners and, and that affects your ability to back yourself. Um, it's more of a kind of an underdog scene and an underdog feel um, when you're in that situation. Um, very similar to, to, to Birmingham. You know, the players were banded together and they were, they were ready to fight, but they weren't fighting to win the league. If, if they'd been capable of winning the league and they've been in that situation, it would negatively affect them. It gives you that underdog mentality, and I think that's what Manchester United have had. Um, I've said to you before, Angelina, that I don't think it's a valid excuse that the, the club is young or the team is young because yeah. we've got World Cup winners, we've got you know senior internationals, people like Jackie Groening in the middle of the park. Um, the, there's experience there. You, you can't say that they're young and that's why. I think I do feel like it stems from that backing, and especially if it's got to the point where the manager says, "Okay, I know I need to leave to make a statement," then it was probably a lot worse than we're all thinking. Yeah,
0: I I agree definitely. Um, I think the whole thing with the training facilities, because from what I read, obviously they were training. Um, I think more at Lee Sports Village, which obviously. The the stadium that they play at, at least, Sports Village, is actually a rugby pitch, um, which, you know, nothing wrong if you've got to do what you've got to do. But if you're a club like Manchester United and you're a women's team, and yeah, the under-21s as well, but even still, you know, th- these people are, are playing on a rugby pitch. I'm I'm not happy about it, to be honest. You know, it's, that's not not okay. And then apparently they did make the move to Carrington. It didn't they were having to fit themselves around the men, which is a complete and utter joke. Um, and things have just got to a point, you know, like say where she's she's decided to walk away. And I just think that, I think the fact that I think it was Ed Woodward that spoke and said, I can't remember what the exact words were that he used, but something about the the backing or something as if to allude to the fact that, you know, we we've backed this team as, and kind of almost hinting towards like, monetary like version of backing them and it's kind of like that's not what yeah it's not about that Ed but you know my opinions on Edward would will um you know remain you know quiet on this podcast but yeah um I think for me as a as a United fan it's just another letdown one of many letdowns across the board at this club at the moment um but go on Jay I'm ready to hear your United hate
1: Um, I just think Casey Stoney was on Instagram and then she saw Lauren James in London and I think that was kind of the final straw. Yeah. (laughs) And Lauren James obviously wasn't answering her messages and then she realised, hmm. And then the whole Chelsea and Lauren James on the kit thing, I think that could really trigger someone. And then she messaged Tobin, how about (laughs) next year? And she was like, I've already booked my plane. So I think at the end of the day, I think... Casey Stoney knew it was only going to get worse next year because uh, fourth this year with Tobin Heath, Lauren James, if those two aren't there next year and Kristen Press not there next year, I think it will be a lot harder for the team. And the team already had their battles off the pitch. Mm. So I think, yeah, Casey Stoney just said this is just a step too far for me.
0: Yeah. But Fair enough. I mean, that wasn't as bad as I was expecting, so thank you. Um, I like how you played that scenario out in your head, though. Um, that's something that I would do as well. Um, now, of course, um, the last eight of the FA Cup will compete in September. The final will not be pa- taking place until December. Drew, what are you making of this decision? I'm not
2: impressed. I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's strange. I think... I mean, I haven't double checked this, but I'm pretty sure the final is on like the anniversary of the women's football ban being lifted. Um, so I think they've done it to, you know, make it kind of ceremonial. Try
0: and, and make amends it. for what they did all those years <laughs> yeah, ago. Sorry, here's the final.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, that's not that's not cutting it with me. I said it's, it's mm. a lovely lovely thought, but um, yeah, it's not ideal. It's not ideal for the players. It's very strange as well, obviously where. Um, Clubs are trying to manage players at the minute, especially, you know, what women's football like is with with transfers. You know, players move a lot. It's always one year contracts, that kind of thing. And Mm. there's players that are like wanting to move and there's FA Cup fixtures at the minute. Do I want to be cup tied? Am I cup tied? Well, if I join a team that's still in the FA Cup, if we win it, I don't even get a medal. I can't join in. Um, So, yeah, there needs to be some dispensation, I think, with with transfers and people being allowed to play. yeah, strange strange decision. I mean just just get it done.
0: Yeah, exactly. I I couldn't imagine as a player being so psyched up for winning an FA cup and being like, yeah, but you're not going to play again for it till September. It's like, oh, right. Okay. I'll just forget about it till then, shall I? Yeah, not not great. Um I mean, our final um topic that we'll talk about um, before we get to our uh, hot topic for this week, which is a brilliant interview that I did with Crystal Palace's Amber Storbs. But before that, we're going to talk about the Scottish Women's Premier League. Um, We've spoken about it on the podcast a few weeks ago when the league returned after being postponed for three months, um, obviously because of covid The title race was really tight. Rangers were only on top by goal difference. Glasgow City were in second. Celtic clinging on in third place. Since then, all three teams have been doing well, but unfortunately, Rangers have slipped up. You know, they lost 1-0 to Celtic in the old firm derby last month. They've lost to Glasgow City earlier this month. Since this new format was established in 2016, credit where credit's due, this is the first time that Rangers have actually realistically been in the mix, not only for a Champions League spot, but for the trophy. Jay, do you think that this is just a case of, because I remember when I was talking about it last time, everyone was pretty excited, thinking, can Rangers almost, you know, do the double? Um But it doesn't seem like it's going that way. There's still time, but I'm not convinced. Jay, do you think that their inexperience is beginning to show?
1: Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say especially losing in a big derby sometimes it can make you fall off the horse so I Mm. think that's just what's happened to Rangers at the moment and because they're inexperienced it might be hard for them to get back on that horse yeah so I'd say it would it really just depends on I think sometimes you just need to have a quick in team meeting and just find out where things are going wrong and I think if they do that then they should be able to get through the other side Mm, yeah
0: fingers crossed um, and of course this year we're going to see two teams qualify for the Champions League at the moment like I say it's Glasgow City and Rangers Drew how exciting is it that we're going to be seeing more teams in this competition
2: yeah incredibly exciting and I'm absolutely buzzing to be talking about the, the Scottish game um, just a little plug here we we have a, like a dedicated column to Scottish women's football um, one of our incredible journalists Courtney McKenzie uh, runs that for us um, so, I actually know loads about women's Scottish football now just through listening to her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Glasgow City have an amazing history in the Champions League. Um, you know, they've reached quarterfinals, they've, they've played massive teams. It's about time some of the other Scottish clubs got to kind of like add to that legacy mm. for, Scot- for Scottish football. Um, you know, there's some fantastic talent in that league. Lizzie Arnott, Rangers, Jacinta, Gallabada, at Celtic. Uh, players like that deserve european nights um and yeah so you know we talk about the disappointment of rangers but there there's something to fight for even if it's starting to feel like the the league's falling away from them mm,
0: definitely i mean getting that second spot will be absolutely massive um and yeah i'm i'm really excited i guess as a neutral celtic or rangers whoever gets it it's going to be exciting um i mean Celtic are only behind Rangers by one point. There are some midweek games, um, but there is another all-firm derby taking place at the weekend. Jay, who is winning this one for you?
1: Mm. I think experience wins sometimes in derbies because it's a very emotional moment, Mm. especially derbies. So I'm going to go with Celtic because I think Rangers fell off the horse and might not be able to get back up in time.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. I think it could. I mean, hopefully Rangers will will surprise me because I like to be surprised. But yeah, I was kind of edging towards Celtic as well. Um, but I mean, talking about Rangers, Drew, you mentioned her a second ago, Lizzie Arnott, Since the league has started up again, she's managed 10 goals. She's been incredible. Is she a name that should be um, considered for the Olympics?
2: I mean... I think she could have scored 40 and I don't think she'd get a look in at the Olympics. Do you think? Um, Yeah, I think it's the sad truth of it. They've, you know, Team GB, they've got a new manager in. I say new manager, it's not like it's a club that holds a manager, you know what I mean? Mm. I mean, Hegarisa, she's got a very small amount of time to kind of pick that team. And I can't see her driving up to Rangers to scout in there and pick some players. And I do think that that squad will be picked purely on reputation and who has a high reputation is performing I don't think anyone that's not kind of got that elite tag Mm. attached to them is going to get a look in even if she you know scored six goals a game and just looked at a class above her that it's sad it is I I don't think it can happen
0: yeah such such a shame and I think you see it um you see it not just with uh the the women's team GB you know we have seen it Seen it a couple of times in a couple of different things, I'll put it that way. But yeah, it's um, a shame, but still massive congratulations to her um, for playing so well, Um, especially after, you know, that three month period being off. You know, I can't imagine as much as it might be nice to have a little bit of a break. I can imagine that physically and mentally it can't be great, on the other hand, to have such a big amount of time off. So, like I say, massive congrats to her. Um, And another honourable mention has to be Glasgow City's um, Priscilla Chinchilla, love her name. Um, She already has seven goals and counting. She only joined in December on a two-year deal. Um, Jay, do you think that there will be a few women's Super League teams potentially with their eye on her um, if she carries on like this?
1: Yeah, I think if she keeps doing what she's doing, Reading had a huge clear out um, Villa had a huge clear out as well, so I feel teams like that that are trying to kind of get closer to the Uniteds and Everton's, I think she could definitely help them get a better finish than they had this season. So I'd say Villa and Reading, those two should be on the lookout.
0: See, I'd like it if Manchester United signed it just so I could get Chinchilla on the back of my shirt.
2: <laughs> 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 just. <laughs> She's got one of the coolest names in women's football. I think the only one I can think that kind of rivals it is Atlanta Primus from London City. Yeah,
0: another great name, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I need I need Chinchilla at Manchester United. Um, I was going to say Casey Stoney if you're listening, but email she, Ed. Yeah, email Ed. I'll get Ed's... <laughs> I'll get. Ed's, well, he's leaving at the end of the year, mate. Maybe I'll find uh, one of the Glazers' numbers. Give one of them a ring. I'm sure they'd <laughs> listen to me. Um, But yeah, I mean, thank you both for joining me to talk um, about those games. And I'm sure, you know what, it's exciting times because even as the leagues are winding down, there's still so much to talk about, so much excitement. Um, So yeah, thank you for joining me. So this week, instead of our hot topic, we have got another interview with a brilliant footballer. It is Crystal Palace player, Amber Stobbs. Amber, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you?
3: I'm good, thank you. And thank you so much for having me on. Uh, It's a pleasure to be a guest.
0: It's It's been a long season, it seems like. It just feels like everything that happened last season and this season, like everything just is rolling into one for me personally, just as a viewer. Um but I mean it's been a season of, of ups and downs for Crystal Palace. Um, including, you know, some really good wins um against Lewis and as far as, you know, you got to the women's super league cup quarterfinals, the fifth round of the FA Cup, what's been your personal highlight?
3: Um I yeah, it has been uh, like a bit of a merger year, hasn't it? Like you said, it's like... But I, unfortunately, missed the beginning of the season um, due to an injury that I carried on from last season. And I think due to lockdown and things like that, it was a bit more difficult to manage it. Um, so I didn't play... I didn't put the, the Palace shirt on, i say, on a game day until November. So we've had some mini highlights there, I guess, where it's like, right, getting back from an injury. We've had a tough um, gap in our season... And kind of that's a highlight of, right, finally, I've done the work and it's been, you know, not the start that I wanted, but I'm past that now. Um, the recent highlight is probably the the closing game to the season. So final home game against Lewis, who we know are a good side. They've finished above us in the table. Um, but yeah, we got the 2-1 win against them. And it was just a really nice way to finish the season because it was a collective effort from everyone it was a proper squad game and everyone had their performances and everyone played well and it was kind of we just dug together and dug deep so it was a nice way to close the season because I don't necessarily think we've had the season that we wished for and set out for.
0: Yeah I mean I think it's always good to at least finish things on a high it puts you in like a, a good frame of mind like going into the summer and stuff and I mean I'm a Manchester United fan. I, I wish that the end of our season had been a little bit better than what it was, I'll put it that way. Um, I mean, you, you've had some some spells at some great clubs, including Arsenal and Chelsea in your youth, Reading and Everton as an adult. Um, you also made the move to America for school and to play football. Now, What was life like in New York playing football? Because in people's minds, it probably sounds quite fabulous. I guess, depending on people's age, probably my age group, I'm thinking like Gossip Girl or something like that. Um, But studying and playing a sport is not easy. It can be tough. Was that the case or was it all fabulous?
3: For me, it was the best experience I've ever had. It was the best decision I made to go there Um, as a youngster. Like, I played mostly at Arsenal, like you said, and then signed for, uh, well, went to Chelsea's academy in under-16s. And then on my 16th birthday is when you can actually then play for the ladies and reserve team. And uh, me and Drew Spence, have, we're, we were roommates at academy and we, our birthdays are two days apart. So we signed that paper on our 16th birthday and it was like, yes, this is us now. We're kind of set now. Let's work hard and get to where we're at. Um, She's obviously done amazing with it. I took a step back a year later and thought, no, I'm going to America to get education. Um, So there I am living in New York, like you said. And when you say it now, I'm like, that does sound amazing. Yeah. I'm like, wait, wait, I did that. (laughs) Um, And I guess some people, yep, studying and playing alongside each other was quite hard, but I always had that thing where I enjoyed having something outside of football. Now, football was the most important thing to me there. It was, but then I sort of learned as I got on, I was like, education's actually going to get me far off the pitch. Um, because as a youngster, you're always like, I just want to play, I just want to play. And I, I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to move to New York at the age of 17. I went a year early and it was just like, not many people get that opportunity. And it was honestly the most amazing thing. I made friends for life. I played full-time football um, and got you know, my bachelor's degree and my master's. And I can't put into words how good the experience was. And I think I really grew as a person. Mm. And the player, and it's just yeah, like a, it, it's amazing. It is.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would be name dropping that as often as I could. I mean, I lived in Madrid for one year, and my friends always make fun of me because I drop that in, and I don't think Madrid is as cool as New York. I just like, yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. I used to have I don't know like bagels like this in New York. <laughs> like New York. Did I not tell you I lived in New York?
3: <laughs> like... no. I mean, I worked with people, and actually recently they're like, you lived in New York. I was like, yeah, like. I, I, I suppose i don't name drop it enough uh it was really oh cool. you need we were, to <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's what i like hear you saying that you know you went to america lived in new york that's must amazing. i'm like oh yeah i did that like yeah. actually yeah um does make you feel a bit old because i went there when i was 17 and came out when i was 22 i mean i know i'm not old but i'm like how did i go how did i go to university that longer yeah
0: oh it it, when it comes up on um I think for me for Facebook memories not long ago that like 10 years ago I'd I'd left high school I was like oh my god
3: (laughs) it was my friend said it It was like 11 years ago when we got on the plane to move to New York I was like what yeah (laughs) it's crazy isn't it (laughs) yeah definitely
0: you know you've been playing football from such a young age um what do you think sets you, not even just necessarily, I guess you, because you know your own experience better than anything, but you or other footballers, what do you think sets you apart from others? Because so many people, you know, men and women have these dreams of being a professional player, but not everybody makes it. What do you think is that that thing that maybe sets people apart that do make it?
3: I think that's a hard one to answer. Yeah. There's lots of components that go into... Um, kind of what you prepare yourself and where you put yourself best on the stage and then external factors that might help in your journey or put you in a different place so for individuals I think hard work is key and I think there's been times in my career that I lost the self-belief but I would always say to someone do what you can to, to keep that self-confidence and belief that you can make this happen because yeah. if you're going to go into anything half-hearted then the result most likely won't sway your way yeah. Um, so it's something about putting yourself as an individual in the best place you can to excel in what you want to perform in, and that mm. goes across everything. So when I say though, I was I was of this mindset at Arsenal under tens because I start, I went to Arsenal when I was um, under nines. Mm. My first girl team ever was uh, Crystal Palace at the age of seven. Mm. Now the way that the games kind of been, if we're talking about my story, the way that the games where then is Crystal Palace had an under twelve team. They didn't have anything below that. Yeah. Um, so this is 1999. Wow. <laughs> um, and I played for the under twelve team, and I'm small anyway, but then I was even smaller. And then I, I, we played Arsenal in some Franries Cup games and stuff. And I managed to go to Arsenal under-9s. And then it was like, honestly, if you ask my parents or anyone that know me, pretty much from that age, where I was like, oh, I'm going to Arsenal when I was under-12s and stuff, I was tuned into this this dream of becoming a professional footballer. Not everyone does it at that age. People do it at 14. You've heard great players that are like, no, I didn't join my first team until I was 14, 16 and stuff. I had this mindset when I was younger because I had the role models like Kelly Smith, Rachel Yankee. And at Arsenal, we were they, some of them uh, would take our sessions. We'd be ball girls for them. So we were fortunate enough to be close to our role models. And I think I switched onto that and was like, you know, that's what I want to do. Yeah. But I'm talking about every step in my life from then. And I think sometimes it's definitely um, worked against me. But every step was like, no, I want to make it pro. So things like when my parents were like, should we get a takeaway and stuff? I was like, no, absolutely not. You know, it's mm. Thursday or Friday. And I'm like, I have a game on. I was 12. I was like, yeah. I have a game on Sunday. Like, I need to feel my body correctly. And yeah. I think they're just like, yeah, we understand. But I think probably when I left the room, they were like, <laughs> is this our child? What's going on? A <laughs> 12-year-old, yeah. So I was very in tune to that. Going to America was a massive part of it. I want to play full-time football as early as I can, which was 17. Yeah. Um, I then even, I did psychology as a degree, but for my master, I did sports science and I kind of that opportunity came up. But I was like, if I know how to do the strength and conditioning in the sports science, surely that's going to help me in my career. So that mm. was uh, in my football career. So that's how far like I kind of took it. But I think... Different things work for different people, but I don't think you can argue the fact that, that hard work will get you places.
0: Yeah, definitely. I agree, and I think that's true in any, um, in any field, really. I mean, you, you mentioned there a couple of, uh, of Arsenal legends. Um, what team did you support or do you support, um, and were there any other players that you looked up to?
3: So, I support Newcastle. Okay. Um, my, my dad's a Geordie. Right. So, um, kind of had the had the choice, but um, I was just in love with Newcastle, and and Alan Shearer was like, you know, my idol and things yeah. like that. But I think I was fortunate enough to be playing at Arsenal, and I would have said, which doesn't make sense, but I would have said as a as a, a young player, I did follow Arsenal a lot, mm. um, and especially the women's team. That makes sense, but I mean, yeah. like to. You know, when someone says, like, I support this men's team and this women's team, it's a bit like, huh? So, um, there's different clubs and stuff. But, yeah, I think I'm a Newcastle fan. Um, it was my first game, um, Aston Villa at St James's Park. It was just like... My middle name is Keegan, by the way. Oh, there you go. <laughs> In 1992, Kevin Keegan was manager. So, um, I'm a Newcastle fan. But growing up, it was, you know, very much... I was close to Arsenal ladies, women, mm. and... Um, and yeah those people I also spent had a bit of time at um Fulham as well so um like Rachel Yankee went from one to the other and I think it was a similar time to I did so I was like what like we're the same people. yeah no I was like oh, I'm, following her footsteps. I'm making it I was like 10 um <laughs> but yeah they just it was just really nice to be around the role models from both you know like because Sometimes when you do speak to people, their role models are predominantly males because of that's what they've been exposed to. Um, and you mm-hmm. know, when te- when games are televised, when I was young, if I wasn't getting the opportunity to go to the live games for Arsenal, um, then then how would I be that exposed to them? Mm. Uh, whereas now it's a lot different, and you can see it. And I, I run, you know, a a girls' football company and high girls in the in the warm ups and stuff like. Who are your role models? And they're and they're coming from both male and female role models and it's just a different world to grow up to play in. So it's a lot nicer.
0: Definitely. It is. It's it's great to it's great to hear that. Of course, you know, you've spoken, you, you mentioned it before, you've spoken very, I think bravely, very openly, very honestly, about your own experiences dealing with your mental health that I just wanted to touch on. Um and for for the listeners who don't know you've spoken about how when you made the move to Reading in 2015 which was your first UK club in your senior career correct me if I'm wrong um yep. things weren't exactly how you had pictured them to be especially with you talking now about how when you were you know so young and you were so focused on achieving this dream how did you come to terms with the idea that it wasn't necessarily the same in reality
3: being completely honest, I don't know when I came to terms with it. Yeah. I think it's been a long time coming to terms with it. Um, so it's not, you know, oh, at the end of the year when I was at Reading, it was like, I, as my article kind of alludes to, and as, as I made it clear that this is something that I still live with, this yeah. um, mental health. And like you said, with for the people that are listening that don't know who I am and stuff, I shared my story about my experiences in anxiety and depression. Now, I had them before I signed my first professional contract, Um, I just think that year, for personal family reasons and things that went on, we lost someone really close to us and Mm. things like that, but also, like you said, having this dream and being so driven towards it, and it wasn't, naively I thought, you know, all the stress is going to go away when I sign that contract and I go out to the training pitch, I'm going to be the player that I want to be, Mm. um, and I'm going to be here, and and I didn't have the confidence that I thought I would have. It wasn't a, oh, you've signed for Reading, now you're going to, play every minute and things like that it was the way that football works and I think it was a bit of a harsh lesson um, of the realities of football when it does become your job and obviously you try as much as you can to love it but it's so different when you have something that is now something that is a passion and a hobby f- forever now beca- become your job because yeah. like I said and when you asked about um, university experience I think it helped me having studying alongside playing football Because let's say you had a bad training session or it didn't go the way you can. It's like, I've got to get ready and go to class. And then you're in class. You might think about it every now and then, that training session, but you've got a training session the next day and you've got other things in life, goals that you need to get onto. I think when I signed for Reading, it wasn't necessarily like, oh, I'm not playing, so it's rubbish. But it's like, I lived in a player's house and and you go to training with your um, housemates that become your friends. And then you come home and then your environment all the time is football. Yeah. And if you don't have a good session, you I I didn't. There's people that do it, of course, there's a lot of players now that study alongside playing, but I that year was like, I am just playing. I'm concentrating on playing. And what actually happened is it consumes me. Mm. Um, obviously, that, that doesn't need to be a negative thing, if you can manage it, but I didn't. Um, I should have got help with my mental health before that year, mm. and it football consumed me. Um, I think my mental health kind of consumed me, and, and that's because of me. I'm not here saying my experiences made this happen or, or sort of I'm a victim to, you know, football and things like that. It's because I didn't have the things in place and I didn't I hadn't learnt those lessons before. And although it sounds quite arrogant, up until then, um, except for when I made appearance for Chelsea women's team, the teams that I was in I, I played and I didn't sit on the bench. So for yeah. so that that drive and that dream and then I, I signed my contract think this is it. And then I'm sitting on the bench, which I think now, in hindsight, that's completely normal and acceptable. And you have a lot to work on when you're kind of a newcomer to the league and stuff. But at the time, it was beating myself up. Yeah. Um, So I think I learned and I took an eight-month gap away from football um, not that long ago. And I kind of reassessed things and did a lot of work myself and learned that, like, yes, I'm Amber, that's a footballer, but my footballing ability and my stats and what's kind of being shared out there of, you know, I've played this game. I've not played that game. That doesn't define me as a person. Mm-hmm. I'm a person off the pitch. Yeah. And it wasn't other people defining me as that. It was me defining me as a footballer. And, you know, Angelina will think more of me if I played this weekend and score a goal <laughs> as yeah. a person. Yeah. than if I didn't, um, because that that was my mindset. And I've learned that that's not true. Uh, mm. We're people and, and there's a lot more to us than just playing football. Um, and, yeah
0: definitely I I agree with that and I think people will be able to relate to that um not just necessarily playing a sport I mean you've also spoken about how you you kept things to yourself for a while you know six years you spoke up you didn't really speak up until your time at Everton and West Ham um and when you made the move to Charleston Athletic you kind of went back into that um I guess what what I would imagine is kind of more like a, a comfort zone because if you're you've gone so many years not speaking about something, it's quite easy to slip back into that that kind of habit, I guess. And you weren't necessarily talking about how you were feeling or what you were going through again. And um, eventually, obviously, you did talk again about it. Can you explain how important? the people on that journey were for you? You know, you've mentioned in your interviews, you know, James Maher at Charlton, Andy Spencer Everton. Everton. Um, I've interviewed Andy myself, so I know, you know, what a nice guy he is. Um, you know, alongside other people in your personal and professional life, how important was it to have these people around you during
3: this time? Uh, it's indescribable how important they are. And I yeah. think that the biggest lesson I've learned is, um, you know, I know it's cliche, but together we're stronger in numbers and stuff. And whether that's you having one person or you having four people you can talk to, like, it's just so different. And, um, yeah, Andy Spence was the first person it wasn't planned. But as I was leaving, because we'd won promotion to WSL 1 at the time, and obviously I'd gone from Reading to Everton to get more playing time and confidence to then hopefully stay there and go back up with them. And it happened that we had I had an eighteen month contract and it happened faster because of um I think it was not county folded. Yeah. In the top league. So it wasn't, you know, I've got the eighteen month journey that I've I'd set out for. It's it was six months. And then I thought that i thought by moving there I'd get a fresh start and all of this would go away. This thing that I've spoken about quite a lot, this one day theory with my mental health that like, you know, one day, I'll play well and this will all go. One day, I wake up and it'll disappear. Mm. Um, so I kind of used the Everton thing as like I'm going to use Everton, it's all going to go away, and it didn't. And it got um a little bit worse. And when I went to speak to him about next season's plans because I was still in my contract and, and it was something that we we knew I was staying, I just act like not accidentally, I just I, honestly, when I say I shared, I got forced to because I was so bad. And I'd shared with a friend and they'd talked to me about their experiences. I shared with another friend and then thought do you know what I went to the meeting anyway was nervous because I thought I haven't played as much or in my position as I would have wanted to in um WSL 2 with Everton now we're going up again and I was like where do I fit in the plan yeah. I basically said that to him and he's like look you know um we're we're like your contract continues but like, yeah. we love having you here and stuff like that and then I just broke down
0: mm.
3: and uh that was the first and it wasn't planned the first time I said to someone and probably even said the words outside like I've got mental health um problems and stuff like that Mm. and I had gone to a counsellor but um that was really important and that that reaction in that meeting and it was just like so raw and just like because it was not that anything's not raw if it's planned but you know it was it was not planned, and it was uh, it was like what I didn't even know what I was saying or yeah, it was, it was coming out of your mouth, uh, yeah, and you're yeah. like, oh my god, I'm yeah. talking about this, yeah, yeah. So that was different, and he encouraged me to tell my next team and said, look, honestly, it's not going to be frowned upon. Um, kind of, it's the best way to deal with these things. I'm here if you need me. Um, the club will still be here, and if you do take a break from football and you want to come back into training, you can. What do you want to do? And then the West Ham opportunity came up. And it was uh, thirdly working with the club um, as a job as well, and it was in London, so I thought stability-wise, that's probably the best. And I spoke to Everton about that, and they said they supported me fully and said we completely understand. Mm. So Andy came round when I was moving out my Everton house and said, "Look, you're going to tell West Ham," and I said, "I don't know," and he, and he said, I, I, w- "I understand it's hard, but you know it is an option and, mm. and it could be a good idea." So I went to West Ham and, and kind of told them definitely minimised what I was telling them mm. look have good days and bad days I'd struggle with mental health and before and I didn't go into any detail um, Ever- West Ham won promotion or, or you know at the Pride and they went up to WSL1 as well and I was like cool yeah <laughs> I honestly it's a dream isn't it because I could have you were kind of like Everton. a good luck charm almost <laughs> <laughs> no no I could have stayed at Everton and then I would have been back in WSL1 but I just knew hand on heart I wasn't ready and I couldn't yeah. face another year like Redden. Mm. um and I got in a little bit of a comfort zone at West Ham with mildly sharing and then during the leaving period there was a bit of like ums and ahs and like uh for a a certain reason I just thought when I went went to Charlton I was like I'm not going to share again yeah um and I think I was like let's try not sharing this Mm. year because I shared last year and I felt a bit better but
0: yeah, um, and it's also a very draining process for you to have to share this, you know, yeah. repeatedly, to have to go through this, to have the fears that people have, and, and I've, I can definitely relate to maybe having these fears, but you, you sit back and you think, I shouldn't have had those fears, but you do fear about how people are going to respond, what their reactions may be, how you're going to feel afterwards, etc. So I can imagine it's, I, I almost... Don't blame you for having that that concept of you know what I'm not going to share this time because it's it's a lot for you.
3: Yeah, definitely, and I think having the clubs one year apart, you know, like one season apart, it's a bit different because like, well, I shared with Everton, there's been one season I shared with West Ham, now I'm going to share yeah. with Charlton, and I think like you like you're saying, if I stayed at one club, maybe it's like we've learned that relationship now, and it's, yeah. it's just a normal kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I went to Charlton and didn't share, and. To no surprise, probably for not sharing, it was one of the worst seasons uh, mentally. Yeah, but a good season on the pitch. You know, I played most of the ninety minutes. So I was playing a new position, right wing back. I was performing um, confident. We were we third in the championship. We finished that year, so like mm-hmm. it was a good on on pitch season on the outside. However, on the inside, it was another one of those. This is the worst i felt. Yeah. Um, until like you said, James Mars clocked it and he's quite persistent but um kind of just kept saying like are you sure you're okay you're sure you're okay and um he was like I can tell you're not when are you going to chat like if it's with me if it's with someone I can tell you're not and again uh, after saying no I'm fine for ages he was like I can see in the sessions like I'm talking to you and it's just like you're not here I know mm. you're listening but your eyes are glazed over like I don't know where your mind is. And he wasn't saying it in a bad way. He was saying these, he kind of said to me, these are the sort of things I've picked up on. So are you sure? And I yeah. was like, oh, I've been caught out here. Yes. You know, oh, it's too obvious. So yeah, again, I had, had one of those breakdown chats with him. And then for the rest of that season, it was, he helped me manage it. And it was, listen, why don't when you come, if you're having a bad day, you're anxious or, or this happened, why don't you just, you don't even have to say words, look at me, give me a nod, and we can decide what a nod means. Mm. um or text me before and and that even that just helped because I don't know let's say you're going over to your friends for dinner or, or something and you are I really don't feel like great today mentally mm. maybe I'll give them a heads up yeah and then when you're there you don't have to talk about it but the pressure's gone from pretending to and be you're okay. not
0: going to think are they looking at me thinking is something wrong with her is she just being <laughs> rude or yeah, yeah, yeah you you know so, that there's that kind of secret understanding
3: yeah, so that was the sort of thing. As if, if they understood and if he knows that I don't have the pressure of hiding it or looking like star people where I've got the best attitude or you know and stuff like that. But yeah, um, in hindsight, easier. Well, it's easier to play football for me having those around me that know and can understand me better mm-hmm. as a person or a player or, or things because I always had that fear of would I be mistaken now if I turned up to training um, quiet. And was drawn that I've got a bad attitude. Yeah, it was a really hard thing to manage because when I was playing, wasn't playing at Red, and I was like, I want to have the best attitude. I always, I've always got um, kind of complimented or or people said that about me with my attitude and stuff. But I was like, I don't want this to go
0: yeah
3: poorly because I literally am having the panic attack in training. Will they think I'm just like sacking training off, or do they think I'm just yeah. not bothering? But no, I'm I'm hyperventilating. I'm trying to run around. Mm. Um, so I think. Uh like having those people in, in your personal life and professional life really helps and I think it's my biggest lesson is that something that helps is having the right support network in place mm. definitely however I always had that yeah I can't fault anyone around me always had that my family has mm. been great with this with me sharing eventually I shared with them best friends like I can't ask for more amazing people around me however I chose not to use it yeah so Again, having these people that I always had is amazing and, and the most helpful thing. However, the difference was when I chose to to share and speak yeah. out. And it's definitely not easy. Like, when I speak about all this stuff, I'm saying, I'm not someone here that sat down on the sofa with my parents two weeks into my anxiety and depression and said, look, guys, I'm dealing with this. And I'm not telling people to do that. Like, I didn't share with one person for six years. Yeah. I didn't share properly for eight years. And then we're talking now, definitely had my you know, I had my first panic attack when I was 14 and I'm 28. But that's how long I haven't shared for. So I'm here saying, I hear that it's hard. Yes, it's hard for people for different reasons, but I've lived that struggle and I've probably lived it for too long. The biggest difference, the biggest thing that's made a difference to me is sharing, whether that's with a counsellor, with a doctor to get help, with my best friend to get help, with a football club to say, this is who I am as a person and, and it's good to have these things in place. I do think every club should have them in place regardless. Yeah. So that it's not the players' responsibility when they sign to say that. because uh, it makes it a little bit easier, which is something that I'm working on and hopefully we can kind of make a change in that sense. Mm. Um but yeah, with the with the whole sharing thing, there's it's just been the best thing that I've ever done.
0: Yeah, definitely. I I can I, I can definitely I can relate to what you're saying and I can definitely agree that um as much as you think that you're handling things and you just you're bobbing along you're not necessarily sharing it when you do it's like god why didn't I do this before but you you it's just like you can't blame yourself in the past for not doing it because you know you had your own reasons at the time kind of thing
3: yeah and something I've talked about is I always had that mindset of I tell them when I'm ready and I tell them when I feel a bit better so today. Mm. It's like oh guys I used to deal with this and it's like well, I wasn't telling anyone so it's like a vicious circle because I'm not telling anyone, so I'm not getting I'm not getting better because I'm not telling anyone, but I want to tell people when I'm better. And it's like, you're just going to have to rip the barriers off and tell yeah. them when you're not great, because otherwise you need to break that circle. Um, one thing that I would like sort of say, I don't know if it's helpful on this, but you could kind of put this in, is the difference that I've learned from sharing and not and the kind of progress I've made since sharing. So since this one year in my article, the work that I'm doing now and how I feel as a person and I honestly feel like... For the first time since I was probably 15, I feel like the amber that I know and that I I am and that is a long time not to. Someone asked me the other day about um, kind of what, like with the sharing and how it changed and all that sort of stuff. Now, someone shared with me and that saved my life. And then with me, with sharing and the kind of the reasons I didn't and stuff like that, probably the, the stigma, I didn't want people thinking um that I couldn't do what i set out to do and all this sort of thing and and even though I don't believe in the stigma if my friend told me that they had mental health I'd never viewed them as weaker I became a victim mm. to that because I didn't share probably because of I was worried about that so the biggest thing that I've also learned is if I told um so like say today you know that I've got I, I suffer with anxiety and depression but yesterday you didn't know mm. so it's almost like the difference between yesterday and today is you knowing, but I'm still the same person, whether I've yeah. told you or not. The only thing that ever changes is people's perception. Mm. And if like any walk of life, if you're going to worry about being yourself or sharing something that's important and could save your life because of people's perceptions, like I've learned to kind of deal with that and get over that and think that's their perception. It doesn't change me as a person. Mm. And I know that might sound like arrogant to some or, or, or no, things no. Like that, but I think we're, we're so tuned into people's perceptions because I would sit here and say, I don't care what people think about me. Mm. And I would have said that five, 10 years ago, but somewhere in that story, I did care about people's yeah. perceptions. Um, so I think that's the biggest, the biggest thing to kind of hold on to and, and to, to realize that whether you shared the only difference between sharing or not is someone's perception. Mm. The only, the massive positive is you can get help.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd agree with that 100%. Um, I mean, you've touched on it, but um, after, after all of these things happened, you made the decision to step away from football at 26 years of age to focus on yourself, to become happier within yourself without the the whole football thing to even think about. Um, obviously, now you have signed for Crystal Palace. How was the time away from the sport? And how did you make that decision to return? And how have, how's it been since you've
3: returned? Yeah, so time away from the sport came because I was at a point of just, I honestly don't know. When Mm -hmm. I say, like, I I thought I had gone past the point of return, I thought this is now worse than it's ever been and I'm on this downward spiral and I have no way to get out. And I sort of thought, you know, I've done years of doctors, counsellors, self-help books. session just everything I kind of was like I've tried everything the one thing I hadn't done is stepped away from football Mm. and I knew at the time that the pressure that was piling on myself and my thought process with football and all that sort of thing like what happens if I took that away yeah would I become would I have more time to deal with myself would all the stress just go away and things like that so it was a really hard decision I honestly didn't want to and I remember the last game I was really emotional and it was I got taken off at like 70 or 80 minutes and I was in like pieces and I just thought how is that my last game ever um obviously I'm smiling saying it now because I'm back playing so it Mm. sounds quite dramatic but honestly I felt like my hands were forced because of how unhealthy I was Mm. um not forced by anyone else like you know forced by my health um and I just needed to strip back to to the basics and and start doing the things like eating right sleeping looking after yourself like because it it really I I can't explain how how bad it was
2: Mm.
3: um and how how much I'd lost the the looking after myself and things like that so I just made that decision because I was desperate Mm. for something to change after so many years of of no change and things um and it did make, make the biggest change and it was another really good decision that I didn't want to make at the time, but I look back now, I think best thing I could have done. And it's not to sit here and say that anyone struggling should take a break from what they're doing. It's because I lost sight of all the things I should be doing alongside playing. Mm. So the self-care, the looking after yourself, the living a little bit outside of your sport, outside of your job as well, and just things mm. like that. I'd lost all of that, um, and, and I was in, like, a dark place. So I took a break, and I, I took... Um, I continued with my counselling, I looked at kind of where I was at, where I used to be, and, and kind of just really, like, just stripped everything back and moved home and started enjoying life as a person, not a football player, and started yeah. thinking about me as a person, not a football player, not a statistic, not a shirt number, not my performances. And that's the biggest learning. I actually had a really good time away from sports and thought, do you know what, I'm now Amber, can play football yeah, um, and enjoy life as a person. And it's dark, it's, it's dark and sad that I thought any other, you know, otherwise in the beginning. Mm. Um, I took counselling and level two skills course because I, I want to become a trained counsellor to help mm. people. Uh, I did that in the gap. I wouldn't have been able to do that with, with football. Um, I did a triathlon, did, you know, charity runs and just kind of was allowed to be a little bit more social and and worked and put everything into my job which was fairly new in London so I just yeah I felt like I found my identity off the pitch Mm. um and then now I live the balance of identity on the pitch and off the pitch better than I ever have because I had that break and then I went back to football for the right reasons um I was sick of just working out by myself (laughs) (laughs) I was but um I actually started playing for my Fiverr side team at work, which is an investment kind of bank, like a merger, M&A finance bank. And I was playing with, like, uh, you know, loads of men at Fiverr side side the only girl in the Shoreditch um, Power League after work. And I was like, I actually love football. Like, this, you know, mm-hmm. getting on a ball again, stuff like this. Because I did, like, eight months just, you know, properly didn't kick a ball. Um, and I started to really enjoy it and was like, i actually do miss football, don't I? And I mean, I had a season ticket when this, when stadiums were open and I was watching football all the time as a fan rather than a player, which is also different, which I yeah. don't think people think of. Um, and then, yeah, I just, uh, Palace was local. I'd spoken to the manager when I was retiring and he'd said, well, if you ever change your mind, you know, we'd be happy to have you down for a session, even if it's just for a kick around and, and stuff like that. So I, I messaged him and before I knew it, Probably three weeks later, I signed a contract and was. Then two weeks later, I was playing in my first game after eight months off. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. I'm, I'm pretty like that though. If I if I make a decision, I run with it. Um, but it was it was really good, and I just started playing again for the right decisions, and mm. I was, I had, two sides of me, or or three sides with my job, with my social life, with with, playing, and it was just a different. I felt like a different person, and mm. people that had coached me before and played with me before that that now at that team. Well, like you're literally playing like a different person. Like I've not seen you play like this, and I was like, "This is how I used to play football." Yeah. Um, and and yeah, I just it was kind of like a. Now I kind of refer to it as like the return, you know, because I thought mm. I went past the point of no return, and now I'm like, well, I've done everything I can to get back to where I wanted to be and better. Mm. Um. So yeah.
0: That's amazing. I think it's such without trying to sound too cringe it is such an inspirational story that you and I think it's so brave of you that you were able to identify you know what I'm going to take myself out of this situation I need to do a b c and d and I like how it was kind of like organically brought back to you like oh hang on a minute I've I've missed this I really in fact I wouldn't mind having to go at this again I love how organic that was
3: it was. Like, I actually, I don't know if I've even said this before, but I was on an exercise bike at my parents' house, generally just cycling, thinking, this is, you know, I'm tired of this exercise bike. Yeah. How do I stay fit? And I thought, I do love football. And I just text the Crystal Palace manager. Mm. Amazing. And that's how it all snowballed. Obviously, I went down there. wasn't <laughs> like, hi, I want to play, Darn deal. It was like, <laughs> I went down there. And we took it, and um, credit to them, because it was the first time I had signed turned up to a club, and he had said to me, I had no idea you were taking a break, mate. Like, I'm glad to see you back, but like, mm. I was very confused when you did. Like, Why was that? And I said, oh, i got a full-time job in London. And I had told everyone. I had told teammates, staff, everything, when I was leaving Charlton, full-time job in London. I did tell Charlton I was leaving because of the place I was at, but in the changing room and stuff like that, I just wanted to say to the girls, like, oh, I've got a job and I want to concentrate on that because I wasn't at that point of sharing. Yeah. As you can see, because it took me eight months and more to share the article. So mm. um, I said to the palace manager, I said, yeah, I had a full time job in London. And then I paused and I told him this. I told him this yesterday. No word mm. of a lie. I paused in my head and thought, you're doing this again. Yeah. And I went, and I you checked yourself and you were like, yeah, on. yeah. And I stepped away because um, my mental health and I had some really, you know, I really needed to get that back um, Mm. to a healthy place and he went okay yeah that's completely understandable then like well done you and Mm. like was like do you need anything and I was like no and he was like okay then, mate like do you want to come down Thursday and I walked away thinking okay well that was new I wonder if I'll get a text tomorrow and I did and or I got a text that night saying thanks for coming down looking forward to having you in and I was like wow okay that wasn't that bad um, and genuinely, I told him this story on the phone yesterday because I had a, a chat with him and said, thanks for everything you've done mm. like, this season and just wanted to let you know you're the first kind of club and first manager that I felt like I'm be completely myself with. Uh, and I'd had some setbacks with other clubs and stuff where I think I had gone back into my shell and not told any clubs like I did with Cholton, but I said, but Palace have completely changed that around for me. Mm. Um, and he was like, I had no idea. And I was like, Yeah. And he was like, Well, no, I understand. Thank you for letting me know. But he didn't have any idea that I'd said, oh, I've got full time job in London. For me, it was a long pause. For him, it wasn't. And I went, Yeah. And the problems with my mental health. Um. So yeah, it was. It was a, a nice turnaround, I suppose.
0: Definitely. Um. I mean, a- another question I wanted to ask was obviously, you know, you've spoken about this idea of piling the pressure on. Which I think a lot of people, like I've said a couple of times with us speaking, you know, a lot of people will be able to relate to what you're saying in completely different fields of, of work. What advice would you give to people? And you know what, I'd probably say I was one of them, um, of piling pressure on yourself. What's the main piece of advice you would give to people?
3: The easier one to say is kind of be kind to yourself and appreciate your journey. Mm. Um, No, not the easier one, sorry. I don't know if that's the best bit of advice I give. Let me think about it. I lost, well, I'm going to say that all again, but I think it is because I lost sight of my journey and was just like, Mm. and go, and go, and go. Yeah. Um, Yeah, okay, sorry. I'll do that again. Yeah. Um, The piece of advice that I'd give to people, having been someone that piles so much pressure on for years and years, is be kind to yourself. I think this world needs to be kinder in general. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And I know that we're always saying, if you could be one thing, be kind, you know, be kind to others. But I think everyone forgets to be kind to themselves as well.
0: Mm.
3: And that needs to be done a lot more. So if you have a bad day in the office or a bad day, like I used to beat myself up, be a bit kinder and know that there is room for error in your journey. Mm. Um, Because I didn't have any room for error in mine. And then another one is appreciate the journey. And um, as everyone says, nothing happens overnight, but you've just got to put your your best foot forward each day. And each step, like each step needs to be your best effort and things like that. So mm. I would say um, be kind to yourself and appreciate your journey.
0: Yeah, definitely. And is there anything, maybe it's it's probably kind of a, a similar piece of advice, but if there are people who are maybe living out their dream, realising it's not what they thought, or maybe they're trying to mask over problems and pretend things are OK. Is there any other piece of advice that you think you would give if somebody was maybe listening to this and thinking that?
3: Um, I think if for anyone that's having those sort of feelings and, and it's not what I wanted it to be, or they are masking everything, I think sharing is the most important thing. Yeah, you You'll be surprised sometimes where I'll say... What I did I say it to you the other day? I said, um, yeah, you know, because I have this thought process a lot of the time that I'm failing and I need to do more and I need to do better. And someone external that I know just said, how, how could you think that about what mm. you're doing? And then I give them my thoughts and they give me their thoughts and it's like, oh, okay. And it's kind of like a, the best thing to do is get to that place where you are your own biggest fan. Yeah. And, you know, take the moment to pat yourself on the back. If something doesn't go right, okay, reflect. Then reflect for a certain amount of time, leave it, next step's going to be a good one. Yeah. You know, things like that. But the, the best thing is to get to a pace where you are kind to yourself and you appreciate that it's a journey and it's not an overnight thing. And mm. if, if it doesn't feel right today, it, can, it will feel right tomorrow. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Don't lose the patience with it. When I have those conversations with outside people although you don't want to rely on external kind of gratification or external um, feedback, it does bring me back a bit. And I think, okay, maybe I should be a bit kinder to myself Mm. because, you know, they'll say, you've done this, you've done that. You're doing this right now. Um, Things like that. Like I'll say to someone, I've got a podcast to do about, about this, this, and they say, that's actually amazing that you can sit there and do it. Mm. And it's not that I'm thinking that I'm just thinking I'm doing it. Like I'm not, Taking the moments to think, okay, this is good. You have done good. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's about kind of taking the moment, taking the moments to reflect as well and appreciate the good. Like you know, gratitude goes a long way. And if you can do that with yourself and and note down some things at the end of the day that you you think you've done well, um, I've got told to do that after some training sessions when I really wasn't in a good place with football. It was like I left football training sessions with the thought of thinking about everything I'd done wrong. Mm. And it was like, you know, as a sports psychologist. Why don't you write down three things that you did well that session, even if it's one pass or one goal yeah. or things in general? Like my movement was really good, and leave that training session with the thoughts of I'm focusing on the good things mm. that I've done. And I think you could do that after a week of work. I think you could do that after definitely anything. Um, and I think it's kind of I went for a long time in my life focusing on the negatives that I'd done, mm. not the positives. Yeah,
0: I think that's such a good piece of advice. Last question I wanted to ask you, a few weeks ago on the podcast, we discussed the Women's Super League Hall of Fame. If you could put one player into the hall, who would it be and why? Uh, is that a player right now? Um, it can be, whichever player you, you you that springs to your mind. It can be somebody playing now and maybe just once they've retired, they'll go in.
3: Honestly, um, Miedema. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, yeah. Don't really need um, to explain that one. <laughs> no, like, it's just, you know, her form, her as a player. We've played against Arsenal. Like, it's just, I can't imagine anyone coming up against her thinking, oh, that's okay, we'll deal with it. Yeah. And if, you're the, if, if, if that player has that effect on a league, um, and I, I, just in general yeah uh, her form is a- outrageous
0: i know it <laughs> you know, is even
3: statistically wise because sometimes you have a good player that well, you know they're a good player and they don't have the stats and stuff she's just absolutely smashing po- both out the park mm. um and it is sort of that thing is i think she's everyone's nightmare to play against yeah <laughs> which
0: uh, is exactly why she should be in the hall of fame <laughs>
3: yeah 100%
0: (laughs) definitely that's a really good choice and I definitely cannot argue with that one um I mean thank you so much for chatting to me um and for you know speaking once more like I know you've you've done a couple of interviews you've been talking about this but I think just for being um so honest and brave with sharing your story um and I really I mean just me talking to you it's definitely helped me and hopefully it's helped um anybody that's listening and it's been great to get an insight into your story and um hopefully you get a bit of a break but we'll we'll see you know what the what will come in the future for you as well
3: yeah definitely honestly thank you so much for um having me on as a guest and thanks to everyone that's listened um it's just a it's a pleasure and and i just hope to continue to do more things like this and to help people and um thank you again for giving me the platform to do so
0: So that is everything for today's One Football Women's Football Podcast. As always, a massive thanks to my guests, to Drew and Jay from Her Football Hub, and of course, to the brilliant Amber Stobbs. As always, if you guys want to get in touch, it is podcast at onefootball.com. And don't forget to head to the likes of Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Music, etc. to listen to more from the One Football Podcasts.